Good evening and welcome to another Wednesday Night Sports Show. I'm Andrew Smith and I'm very pleased to say that Gary Mooton is on the line. How are you doing, Moot? I'm great, Squire. How's yourself? Not too bad at all. Good to hear from you, mate. And, uh, of course, uh, former, former Newcastle United ladies manager back in the day, Moot. And uh, yeah. uh, the England job uh, in the ladies game is, uh, mm. has been in the news of late. Phil Neville, of course, his contract uh, will be up next year and uh, that won't be renewed. He's saying uh, we've got the World Cup coming up in 2022. They did such a great job last time around, just reached the semi-finals and just edged out by the USA, Moot. Uh, it's... Uh, it's a tough job, isn't it? But uh, uh, there's, there's been signs in recent years that England have, have, have advanced, I think, a little bit under Phil Neville. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I was quite shocked initially when he came in to do the job in the first place because it wasn't really on the radar. And I, I you know, being, a, being an ex-manager of a woman's, so a women's side, granted, it's, you know, um, totally different league, totally different setup, and all the rest of it. The one thing I was very passionate about, and listen, we're going back probably about eight, nine years ago now, when I was managing Newcastle United Ladies. The one thing I was very passionate about was more female coaches coming in into the managerial role. So when um, when Phil never got that job, I was kind of shocked that they've gone for a male as opposed to female, because the one thing I've you know I've said for a long time that when it comes to football, um, just in terms of playing terms women are technically a lot better than what men are on the, in terms of, you know, like the passing, uh, um, turns and so on and so on. Men are more, more better in terms of 28 yard passes due to strength and quad size and so on. But when it comes to the manage, the managerial side, there's some fantastic female coaches out there who have gone through the ranks and they've got the UEFA Bs and the A license and so on and so on. So I was kind of shocked when he got the job in the first place. The Sydney, what I've heard today is they're going down the Dutch route, which again, I'm shocked, but I'm not at the same time because the Dutch was the ones who bought in the 7v7, 9v9. And I don't know if you know this, um, Snaithy, but what the Dutch do is they play, um, so in the junior side, you know, grassroots essentially, mm. is what we, what we do in the UK is for a long time, we went from, I say, you know, 5v5, 5v5. And then it was straight into 11 aside. And what you had is just little kids on the pitch, the big 11 aside pitch, and it looked just ridiculous. And it was unfair on them, you know, just the little legs were running all over. What the Dutch were doing for a long time is they were doing 7v7, 9v9, and then up to 11, 11v11. So that was, so what they've always done is they've had some really great um, pro- and proactive and forward thinking approaches to football. So, that might be why why the FA is now going back to, you know, and um, looking abroad, and seemingly like to take in bringing like the the way the Dutch do it. So, could be quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting your thoughts, obviously, as a as a male manager in, in, of, a, of a female football side, and obviously that you, you, I mean, I mean, is it, is it your view that 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 really it should be women who are managing women's football teams? That ideally that would be the case. Um, I would, so we live in a very equal, you know, society, or we'd like to think we do. So I think what would be nice in the future is so. 
you know, I'm a I'm a Sullivan's and the Rangers fan. Okay, so we've got um, like say so Steven Gerrard is up at Rangers at the moment, and he's, so he's a male in charge of the male football team. Now, what would be interesting to see is let's just say you've got you know a female coach has come through, she's done all the the qualifications, like what Steven Gerrard would do. Could you imagine her managing say Rangers football club or any other male side? It's I- it's unheard of, isn't it, Moots? It, it, it has yeah. been done previously, but it, it, it's extremely rare. Extremely yeah. rare, Moots. And presumably, that's because of the, the environment, um, the, 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 the male changing room, I suppose, that environment, I guess. It, 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 would, be, it would be hard work, I suppose, for one to come into that. Um, but, but equally... But so you had it the other way around, didn't you, Moots? You had it the other yeah. way around. So we had um, we had a couple of female um, members of staff, and they'd be in the changing rooms where the, you know, the girls were getting changed and so on. And we'd agree a time, say, um, oh, got it. I think it was like 15 minutes before kickoff. We'd agree a time that we would go in. Now what we'd do is we'd knock, we'd get the okay. You know, everyone was like, you know, present and um, and everything's correct, and we'd go in and we'd deliver the team talk, the tactics, and all that jazz. Now that was so it does work, and it works quite successfully. So it can easily work the other way, I believe. I would like to think, you know, again, we live in this equal society, that we'd have more female coaches coming into the men's game, just like you've had a big influx of male coaches going into the female's game. I'm not a traditionalist in the sense that I think it should just be women coaching women's teams. I think we should be open to society and where people, people in the, 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 they go on merit of who they are, not what sex they are, if that makes any sense. No, I, I I agree with you there, of course. But uh, I mean, do, do you feel that there's maybe certain parts of it that um, you know a, a, a female football team might just um, might might just react a little bit better than a female coach? Maybe just a little bit more empathy. Um, you know, you've been through the same as we have, and, and something like that. Mm. Or what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, possibly. I think, you know, one of the things you'd probably have is where females would find it hard in the men's game is the respect element, you know. So the men, you know, and and I'm just generalizing when I say this, obviously, I'm not talking about anyone in, or any teams in particular, but a lot of male um, footballers be thinking, well, you haven't been through the same as what we have and blah, 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 and they would probably have that against them. You know, that's that's a possibility. But, you know, we live in, you know, 2020 is the very trying year, so anything's possible yeah. <laughs> at the moment. So I would never rule anything out. But I do think for where the females um, international side, there should be a female coach in charge there, purely because of, you know, the dynamics would be totally different. And there's some fantastic female coaches. Um, I'll tell you one who used to be my uh, centre-half, a girl called Courtney Locke. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's now an A-licensed coach she's back at playing at new she went to middlesbrough for a bit she's back at newcastle now a fantastic footballer but a fantastic coach at the same time i've um she hasn't i've been down to gated and i've seen her coaching from afar brilliant so there's people like her who's played the game played at a grassroots level got to quite a good standard in courtney's case a great standard um and then going off into management at some point so some fantastic coaches coming through in the UK. So if we go Dutch on this one, it probably would be nice to see an English female coach heading there, the international side at some point. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you do see, 
you do see some good uh, some good female coaches of the female teams in this country. I suppose the the standout one would be uh, Emma Hayes at Chelsea, uh, mm-hmm. which is often uh, mentioned in uh, in in this breath. And also, the, I think the former the former US coach has also been linked with that position as well uh, with England mm-hmm. uh, Moots. Um, and of course, we mentioned Holland. Holland got to the final, didn't they? So one one uh, one stage further than ourselves. Uh, um, I mean, in terms of the England job, I mean, we have had a couple of good male coaches. Uh, there was Hope Powell initially, and then we, we mm-hmm. went for a male coach, we went for Matt Sampson, then Phil yep. Neville came in, and it felt like there was a little bit of a progression there. Um, so it, it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, there's still, I would think, in, in terms of the Women's Premier League, probably um, just as many male as, as, as female coaches, maybe still a little bit more. Um, do, do, do you think there's, there's still a little bit of, of work to do to get more, more female coaches through? Yeah, I think, you know, so what, over the last, say, the last five to, we'll, we'll say the last five to ten years with, the, you know, the Women's Super League coming in, which means that the profile of the women's game has been ramped up massively. And you've had, you know, Sunderland are doing fantastically well. You've had Arsenal, you've even had Liverpool and Man City. Now, Man City had a good, well, they still have got a great side, I should say. You know, you've got like the Jill Scott and so on playing for them. So what you've got is this is raising the profile for women's football and it, it, it's gone. So you've got more players coming through the ranks now, but then players are in the Super Leagues playing, you know, you, you like to see Jill Scott and, and Steph Houghton and stuff like that. They will inevitably, I imagine so, go into coaching and management at some point. So they could be, what, you know, what we could be looking at in terms of England is your next generation of coaches for the England setup is probably playing as we speak within the league hmm. and with the profile with the more money being spent in it in terms of the commercialism and all the you know the, the porn sandwiches element if you listen to Roy Keane um <laughs> go back in the day um that's where so there's more money being pumped into it which means better facilities and better coaching so yeah I think the future England management is uh, probably playing for you like your Man City at the moment or your Arsenal's give or take or Chelsea Indeed. somewhere you, you mentioned a couple of really good uh, North East lasses there and, and Sunderland ladies players as well, former Sunderland ladies players. Yeah. Um, does it make you a little sad that the, the way things have gone with, with, with Sunderland? They've, they've, um, they've, they've had it difficult last, last few seasons. I know speaking to, to Morris Alderson, the former chairman, of course, friend of the show, um, yeah. I think he's very disappointed with the way things have gone. Uh, I, I'm guessing it makes you a little sad that, that, things, uh, that things have dipped, dipped mm. a little bit for Sunderland. Extremely disappointed, really am, because... So Morris, I know Morris is a fantastic individual. He's, his commitment to um, not only Sun and ladies, but to women's football is phenomenal. He's fantastic. He's just, you know, he's, he's, it's, not, it's not even about him. It's about the entire team, the process, the people, the people who make the cups of tea, that put the sandwiches out, mark out, you know, the linesmen. It's all about the bigger picture for Morris. And... I know, and I've seen it firsthand when I went down to, and I spent a bit of time with him, of how much hard work he put in to, to raising the profile. So if you look at what's just happened with Sunderland, I mean, they were winning the league, they were doing fantastic, um, they were standing out. You know, they had some great players came through the ranks. You know, we've, we've mentioned the likes of Jill Scott and so on. You know, um, and Mead, who's down at um, Arsenal now. You know, all these people have come through Sunderland's ranks, which says a lot about them. So if you look at the likes of like your Morris, it's a massive kick in the teeth because behind the scenes, away from what you see on the pitch, 
the hard work that's been put in by a lot of people, only to have it then kind of the rug then pull from underneath your feet, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So it's still be then struggling. And, you know, the one thing we know about, just we, you know, we talk about Sunderland in Newcastle, um, even Middlesbrough, you've got your Harley Calls and even your Darlington's. The, the North East as a whole is a massive hotbed for football and other sports as well. It's a massive hotbed. And it's just a shame that I think sometimes the North East is forgotten because, I mean, you've got Durham Lady doing, doing amazing. Yeah. Some of the, you know, some, I think my ex-captain, um, Sarah Wilson, she's the captain there now. A fantastic player. And she's a great individual as well off the pitch. But it's kind of geographically hitting a brick wall. And that's sad. It's just, again, it's disappointing, really. That's the only way I can describe it. It's quite very disappointing. Absolutely, mate. It's absolutely. We're, we're going to uh, just take a break from the women's side of things and just talk a little yep. bit about my, the men's team. And, of course, there was the, the big vote taken um, about League One and League Two, a salary cap. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm, I'm massively conflicted with this, if I'm being honest. So, from a... Say from a commercial point of view, I'm sorry, from a from a, a business point of view, a fans point of view. So the one thing Sunderland has done and done it quite successfully is they've bleeded um, money right, left, and centre on players' wages over the years. You know, seventy thousand here, fifty thousand there, and that's a lot of money. It doesn't matter what league you're in, that's still a lot of money. So that's been kind of one of Sunderland's biggest downfalls is they've had this ridiculous wage bill now. The issue you've got is they've been in, so, you know, in one breath, it's really good because then we don't have this ridiculous wage bill. We can control the finances a bit better and spend the money where we need to spend the money, you know, by, you know, bringing, you know, well-qualified staff in. Now, the issue you've got is the one thing Sunland's also struggled with is bringing in the right type of players because geographically, what has Sunland got to offer in comparison to like of in Newcastle, or your Leeds or Edinburgh, a place like, you know, like great cities with great vibrant things going on in terms of nightlife and um, the way of living. Now, Sunderland has always had to pay extra on the wages to attract people in because, you know, whether you, you like it or not, the city centre is not really a patch on the likes of your Leeds or your Newcastle or your Edinburgh. So it's one of them. It's a really conflicted you know, swings and roundabouts. It's in one breath. You think that's great because I mean, now we're not going to be oh, God, spending £70,000 on a player each week, that's fine. But then at the same time, what type of players are they going to attract? And you've got to remember, we're in League One, and we're in League One for a reason, because they're atrocious. You know, so, that's, uh, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I'm not mincing my words with it, they really have been atrocious over the years. That's yeah. why we're in League One. So I think the salary cap is going to be a massive hindrance for someone because you're not going to get the players you want, essentially now. At the same time, it's going to help balance them books because it's been a nightmare. I mean, Jack Rodwell, £70,000 a week, and he was only sitting on the bench, keeping it warm. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, he became a great golfer. <laughs> he should have been playing football. A genius. <laughs> so, yeah. Brilliant. It's, you know, it's a funny one. I'm, I'm going to talk a bit more about this with, with John Stoker later on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, Sunderland and like Portsmouth had this, this argument as well, Portsmouth fans. Uh, one of the, the big clubs in the division, you know, Sunderland still get huge gates uh, despite the, the, the fact that they're in the third tier and obviously ex-Premier League club. Um, yeah. So they would be one of the clubs, I suppose, that would maybe be able to pay a little bit more 
than your um you know your your, your smaller clubs in the division yeah. your clubs that might be struggling towards the bottom you know your Burton Albions and, and the like mm-hmm. um so it might be that the the the, the changes um, have a negative impact on on Sunderland but uh, I, I don't know where, where would you stand on that one do you, do you think it might might be detrimental to Sunderland yeah I think it will to be fair I mean it might be it might be attractive in the sense that it, we can then sell the club even quicker. But I think it's going to be detrimental because, you know, the one thing Sunderland has got is got phenomenal support. You see that more so on the away days. You know, you've, you know, 5,000 fans go to Burton or somewhere like that, or even Fleetwood. It's ridiculous. So we've kind of propped the other teams up, the clubs up, I should say, in the league. They've loved it because we took big support away. But with that in mind, then we're not going to be able to do that, you know, going forward because the salary caps kicks right in, and we're going to be then put in the same bracket as the likes of your Fleetwoods and your Burtons. And I'm not, you know, I'm not the type of son of fan who's going to dismiss any other team because you know the likes of your, your Fleetwoods and your again your Burtons have got great support themselves, you know. But we're not in the same league as them in terms of support. You know, it's, it's, it's totally different. So it's kind of like you've been punished, but you're not being punished. It's weird. It's, it's hard to even articulate it, to be fair. Yeah. It's hard to even try to, try to explain it because you, you can't really understand it yourself. I and mean, who voted that in? That's a genius one. <laughs> somebody was somebody was skint, I think. <laughs> to be fair. I, I guess, I guess yeah. they, they would say that it's, uh, especially in the current climate, one that might just help clubs balance the books a little bit more. And I suppose it's to protect those clubs that have been overreaching themselves with players' wages. And of course, this, this should include agent fees and things like that. So that's, oh. always, that's always one that gets people animated. I don't think anybody has ever come on this show and argued for agents to, to get their So what an important part of the game they are. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a friend who's a he's a he's a football agent actually. He's um he, he works with some of the big names in the players. Now he'll argue the point that no no it's extremely important. So I'm like yeah okay it's extremely important. You made three phone calls and sent one email. I'm sure that you know that war- that warrants one one point five million genius. In that case, I don't know anybody that sticks up for agents. It's the hardest it's the hardest job to get into, and you wonder why because you know you hear that term uh, a boys club or. Um, Dead man shoes, you know, like you, the only the only time you get in is when someone really uh, kicks the can and they've gone, you know. So yeah, I'm not surprised because uh, if you're going to get paid 1.5 billion for a couple of email, a couple of emails and the odd phone call, oh, and dealing with a sloppy, yeah, uh, sloppy footballer, I'm sure that you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll be fine, even in this current climate, <laughs> they'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure you're right, Bruce. I'm sure you're right, mate. And it's been great catching up as always. Um, Likewise. And, uh, and uh, we will no doubt catch up with you again. Uh, hopefully, when things restart, um, you know, it's scheduled for September, uh, the Football League getting back underway. Mm-hmm. But do you think we're going to have any fans in the stadium this time around? Well, I'm not sure because if, um, if our league, say League One or even the Championship of the Premier League, follow Celtic's uh, approach, <laughs> So the players going off to Spain, not telling anybody, coming back, not having a 14 days quarantine. I think it could be a lot longer than September before we see anybody playing on the pitch. However, I've been watching the football. You know, it's, it's lovely seeing the you know the big big advertising banners all over the place, but it's not the same, is it? It's just not the same, and it's a shame. And it's the same with every sport. You know, cricket. You know, it's not the same. 
and it's you know I'm a I'm a big rugby fan, so I can't wait for the rugby to start. But again, you need the fans. The fans make the game. It's not so much what goes on the pitch. It's the banter of going to them, going to the match with your dad or your girlfriend or you just your mates having a few drinks, having a bit of laugh, winding your friends up who's the opposition. That's what that's what it's all about, really. To be fair, not so much what goes on the pitch. Obviously, going on the pitch helps because it helps with your mental health. After you're not clinically depressed, well, that stuff. I am watching bloody Sunday every week, but that's a side issue. <laughs> Don't go into that. <laughs> go into that. But you need, hopefully, fingers crossed. You know, nobody sneezes too much going forward. They open the gate and let people go in to watch uh, to watch the games play. I'm sure um, when you speak to, to Stoko, he's been itching, itching to get into the stadium of light. You know, he's. <laughs> but he's, I bet he's had what they call the Charlie Drakes waiting for that, uh, that green light to go ahead I bet he has indeed just uh, stalking around the uh, uh, the turnstiles at the uh, at the Stadium of Light um, but yes uh, Moods uh, you, you have a, a unique way with words mate I have to say <laughs> I look forward to catching up with you again mate take care yeah, you take care mate what's what you're doing Welcome back to the Wednesday Night Sports Show. That was Gary Mutimer. Uh, Ash Thorpe is going to join us now. We're going to talk a little bit of cricket. How are you doing, Thorpey? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Nice to have you with us as as always. Uh, I, I love the fact that well, while we record the show, just to let you in on this, uh, we have a WhatsApp group going. And, <laughs> and um, I was chatting with uh, uh, with Gary and with, with Ash and, and with John Stalker, who's coming up a little bit later on in the show. Um, and they're all sort of... I'm sort of having to go at each other back and giving Moots a little bit of stick uh, about his earphones. I don't know what's going on there, um, but um, but yeah, he's just he's just come back into the group after I've uh, concluded my chat with him. And Moots has just gone. Oh, I've just been nailing it, lads. Just absolutely nailing it. <laughs> Very funny. It's, it's almost as if you're all there in person. Um, Thorpey, we're going to just uh, change tacks a little bit. We've been talking football with Moots. Uh, we're going to, of course, look forward to the second test between England and Pakistan, which starts tomorrow uh, at Old Trafford and uh, uh, first of all obviously the sad news for Ben St- for Ben Stokes having to, uh, uh, to to leave the uh, to leave the bubble to uh, uh, to leave the series uh, for family reasons uh, as I know he'll, he'll be gutted and, and of course we, we wish him all the very best um, it, it's been a, a, a difficult one that for England of course you, you realise suddenly just how important Ben Stokes is well, it's, uh, it's a top class batsman and it's a very very useful baller and top class fielder um, that, that's missing now from the side. I mean, how would you um, how would you change things around ahead of uh, tomorrow's game? Um, I think uh, first of all, I hope everything's okay um, with the Stokes family. I haven't yeah. contacted him or his family this week. I've kind of uh, stepped back and let let them deal with it the best way they can. But um, not reading too much into it. But hopefully, it's uh, it's not Jed and a recurrence of his illness that he suffered in South Africa over the winter. Yeah. But yeah, um, moving on to the, yeah, how how do you replace Ben Stokes? It's probably two men, isn't it? Um, you're probably looking at, you know, his runs and wickets, his, his feeling, as you mentioned, and his personality is just, is the complete package at the moment and, and probably um, the best cricketer in the world. So how do you replace him? Well, I guess Chris Wokes is, put his hand up, hasn't he, in the last couple of test matches and said, you can't leave me out. He's made, you know, massive contributions with bat and ball. So, you know, that's really helped England. Um, but yeah, I think Zach Crawley will come back into the side and probably jump in at the number four spot. And then it'll be, um, which way do they go with the bowlers again, I guess, which has been the question all summer. 
Indeed. I was going to say, I, I know Joe really does prefer the bat four, so it might be that Crawley goes back to his, his number three role and allows Root to, to bat at four. That would be interesting to see how they work that. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't see Ollie Pope having any issue but, um, stepping up to number five. I think he's perfectly comfortable there. Um, yeah. Butler and Walks, as you mentioned, of course, the heroes of, of that first test. Um, yeah. A scintillating 139-run partnership from them. So I don't think many people will have a problem with them batting six and seven respectively. For me, um, and, and I'd be interested to get your view on this, Ash, for me, I think Jimmy Anderson had a, had a tough time. It's been well documented and maybe a little bit exaggerated, but he's had a tough time and he's, he's mentioned it himself that he's still desperately trying to get his action right. He's been working on his, his wrist position with, with getting the ball to, to, to move, um, which of course is, is arguably his, his greatest weapon, the, the, the movement yeah. of the ball. Um, so I think it might be, and I do like to do this anyway with Jimmy, um, you know, pushing 40 now. Um, they like to give him a rest in the middle of the series. And I'm wondering if they might do that tomorrow, Ash. Beef up the batting, bring in Sam Curran, who could bat 7 or 8. Um, and, and of course, as you say, walks undroppable, broad undroppable. Um, and I'm yeah. sure they'd prefer to have, have, have Joffre Archer in there as well. Um, so I would see maybe Sam Curran coming in to strengthen that batting um, and, and, and maybe rest Jimmy Anderson. What do you think? I think that's the worst challenge of all. You're absolutely right. Sam Curran seems to have that golden arm as well, especially in Test cricket in the UK, where he just makes valuable contributions. He makes things happen. Um, he's a left arm option as well, so it's it's something different. Um, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about Jimmy, and you're absolutely right. It's the it's the middle test of the series, so maybe give him that rest this week to freshen up. But you know, he's taken hundreds and hundreds of Test wickets, so he's a champion of the game. And that might give him the fire in the belly, a little bit like it did with Stuart Broad to, to come back stronger. The other question is, is, is will Archer back up again or will they maybe go to Wood um, as the as the pace option? But you're absolutely right again about Stuart Broad. He's uh, He's been in outstanding form since his return to the team. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting. They've, I don't know whether we should read anything into it, but they've added Ollie Robinson to the squad, haven't they, as well? Um, again, maybe maybe somebody that, uh, that that listeners might not be familiar with. Yeah, um, big, solid all-rounder from Sussex, a bowling all-rounder. Uh, again, an, a, another another really good option. I know a lot of people are excited about what he can offer. I'm just not sure that He'll get a crack at this at this test match. I'm, I'm with you. I'd go with Curran, with the left arm option and, and the batting strength there. Yeah, I mean, I, I was doing a little bit of research upon Ollie Robinson. Uh, is he a little bit of yeah. a bad boy? Had a bit of a time at, at Yorkshire at the start of his career where he was released by Jason Gillespie. Is is, is that, that part of his uh, his history? Um. From what I heard, it wasn't anything massive. It was It was a little bit of immaturity, so turning up late for practice, missing team buses and things like that. So nothing major, but a kick in the backside and getting released. And he's really taken his opportunity down at Sussex uh, and playing some exciting cricket there. I've seen him a couple of times at Durham. Bowls pretty lively, medium pace and quite handy with the bat as well. Yeah, interesting stuff. So plenty of options ahead of that second test. Uh, uh, we alluded to Joss Butler and uh, uh, and his amazing partnership with Chris Walks. Uh, that that first test finish, Ash. I mean, that that was just some superb test cricket. Yeah, it was. It was really exciting stuff. As as a lot of the cricket has been, hasn't it, since its return? Mm-hmm. Um, 
at five down, you, you were thinking that the Pakistani spinners were going to spin them to victory. Um, but an awesome partnership. Butler's been under quite a bit of pressure, probably externally rather than internally. Um, but he really came good. And Chris Wokes is just having a fabulous summer. Indeed. Um, it's a bit of a double-edged sub. I'm obviously delighted with England's win and, and, and really enjoying the, the, the cricket on on, um, on on screen. But you find yourself thinking, God, imagine if it was a full house there and the fans were yeah. there. The atmosphere on that, fire, that afternoon, that fourth day afternoon, it would have been something else, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been crazy. I mean, I was watching the football tonight. I don't know if you were watching the PSG Atlanta game there and mm. PSG scoring those two late goals. And you can only imagine that I was thinking exactly the same thing at that moment. Imagine the crowd would have been going absolutely mental at that stage. But, you know, they're, they're entertaining us, you know, through through the television screens, unfortunately, rather than being live there. And I was thinking the same. The 2020 fixtures have just been released for Durham and, and normally I commentate on those games uh, for the BBC. And unfortunately, uh, I don't think I'm going to be get, getting that opportunity this year. So it's 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 sad, but you know, to, just to have any sport to watch at all. I must admit, I'm binging on it. I'm watching the NBA. I'm watching the the baseball. I've, anything that I can get my hands on at the moment, that's live sport. I'm trying to watch. So cricket definitely high on the agenda. But hopefully, before too long, we'll have crowds back. Absolutely. Well, BBC Newcastle's loss is uh, is, is, uh, is the win tonight's <laughs> sports shows game. That's for damn sure. Right? Um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. I mean, we're looking at looking at these 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 situations where you just need you just need supporters. And I mean, I can't I can't imagine the new football season starting next month without fans being allowed in stadiums, particularly at the lower level. I would say because obviously the Premier League, it, it's well known that it could run without a, a supporter in a stadium all season and the TV money is so high that they, they wouldn't they wouldn't care it wouldn't make any difference to them um, but lower down and, and we must include Sunderland in this League 1 um, and, and, and League 2 in the, and, and non-league I mean it is the lifeblood isn't it they're, they're getting people through the turnstiles there must be some way that they can they can they can make it work can't they yeah I mean if you look at that, they did some trials with cricket specifically on social distancing in the stadiums down um, in a couple of games, you would like to think, and this is me not having to get some fans, but you would like to think you could still get the best part of 15,000 people in the stadium of light social distancing with the size of that stadium. But, you know, all revenue streams are so important for all those clubs outside of the championship. And you, you go down to, you know, even some of the non-league stuff where some clubs are fortunate to, ha- to have quite big backers at that level. But, you know, it's the lifeblood of, of, you know, grassroots sport is that we need people in there supporting us, um, you know, with sponsors and, and fans in there and just trying to keep the game alive. Um, because I think if, if this continues for much longer, I think you might see uh, more clubs, unfortunately, close down. Yeah, absolutely. Um that is the that is the fear, isn't it? And uh, you know, we we we've seen uh, we've seen some high profile examples. Uh, you know, we we all, Wigan Athletic are able to yeah. uh, to to get going again in the new campaign. Um, yes, lots of uh, lots of clubs that will be uh, looking over those shoulders, no doubt, with the the issues that they're having. You mentioned the trial games, and, and cricket featured quite heavily, didn't it, Ash? And they yeah. initially thought that that those county games they'd been playing were were rather successful. Yeah, I think the trials, I think everybody was really happy with the trials and 
and Boris and the government just got a bit nervous around the uh, the old R rate going up towards one again and just decided that they were going to put the break. I know they had plans for the Durham, potentially not the first game, but definitely the second game of the season was to have some fans in there. Um, and unfortunately, that isn't to be. So everybody's waiting. Everybody's hoping that they can get and watch some live, live sport at some stage in the near future. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, Ash, I mean, you know, for example, if that, if it just for, um, for devil's advocate, just for an example, um, you know, if it was Durham first up, uh, you know, you, you, big, big game, say it was Yorkshire or something, you know, a big, big, yeah. um, 2020 game, huge game under the lights. It was the first game. I mean, would you, would you be, um, would you be happy to be one of those, um, guinea pigs for the, for the, want of a better term for, for the, uh, for the fans to come back? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I've been involved in in coaching kind of since since we we're allowed, um, with the social distancing stuff and playing. Uh, I mean, we at Washington had a, had a really good crowd in on Saturday, and people socially distanced and and were quite responsible there. Um, I, I think we, the, the quicker we can get back to normal, the better for everybody. We've seen that, you know, as an economy, not that we're a politically motivated show, but as an economy, we've gone into a, a massive recession there. And I think the sooner we get back to normal, and that includes supporting our, our local businesses and, and more importantly, our, our sporting clubs, the better. I was going to say, how did uh, have the ECB given much advice to uh, to you down at, at Washington in terms of of, of getting uh, allowing supporters uh, to watch games? Yeah, they have. They're, they're really strict with um, what we can offer um, with regards to space and workplace systems, um, social distancing. For instance, we're not as players, we're not allowed to use change rooms, um, and, and we have to have basically one one room where we can go in and get changed if we want to put our protective equipment on and things like that, and and toilets and all of those kind of things. So there's there's really strict guidelines from the ECB as to how that operates. Um, but that, what I have seen um, is some quite good crowds at local cricket, which is which is great for us. Very good. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, um, so have, have spectators been socially distanced? Have they been good about that? And is it something that you can you can police as a club, or or, or is it you know is there some common land there that you, you maybe you maybe can't stop people from from walking past? Yeah, I, I think people people realise that if they want our game to continue then they have to take a bit of responsibility themselves. The ultimate responsibility does lie with the clubs. We put out all the signs and put the, the systems in place. Um, you know, even things like trying to take as many contactless payments as we can and try and avoid handling cash and all of those kind of things. But ultimately, the people are responsible. And if, if we as people don't adhere to the rules, then, then that will stop. Uh, and we, we miss out on the sports that we love. Indeed, uh, and, and and just let us know how how does it how does it work in in practice then when you're on the field, Ash? I mean, does the the umpire have a, a bit of um, you know the hand hand wash stuff in his in his pocket and that to put on the ball? <laughs> how, how does it work? Yeah, so we we normally have a, a bottle of hand sanitizer behind one of the stumps, uh, one of the sets of stumps. Every six overs, we have to stop the game and sanitize our hands. Um, I was going to say, if yeah. the ball hits it, is it five runs or? <laughs> no, it's, it's not. But the, the umpires are not allowed to hold any players' jumpers or caps. Oh, a, a bowler, yeah. So if a bowler was to put his cap behind the stumps or 
as his bowling marker and the ball does hit that, then that is penalty runs. Um, and there's there's even wipes for the ball and all sorts. So we we stop, you know, um, tees have stopped, so you have to bring your own tees now. Um, and even drinks breaks, you're having to provide everything yourself. So although it's, it's a little bit weird, it's just great to be back out there with the lads and, and have some kind of exercise and, and a bit of good crack. Absolutely. I was going to say, well, we've seen Jason Holder with, I think, three hats on, on his head and uh, yeah. Matt Wood doing similar as well. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, so, yeah, how, how, are, how are Washington getting on uh, in, in their return to competitive cricket? Yeah, we've had a brilliant start to the season, mate. We've um, we've been fortunate to get out there and get amongst them. We've had uh, the first team, the second team, and our third and fourth teams have all had three wins out of three games. So it's a great start. Um, we're getting some great results from our kids as well. Um, and we've got our first ever girls team who had their first win on Friday night. So the club's absolutely buzzing and we you know, we just want to get back to normal as quick as we can so we can keep keep the good thing going. Brilliant. Oh, the director of cricket there must be doing something right. Um so <laughs> now you mentioned so you can't have your you can't have your tees and, and I know mm. I've been playing a, a little bit of cricket myself, these are often the, the highlights of of, uh, of the match. Uh, when you, you retire for a, a big slice of cake and uh, and a few sarnies. So um are, are you bringing a packed lunch for you then, um, Ash? That's it, that's all you can do. You bring your own mate. That's all you can do. It's a, it's a shame because you know, we, we at Washington uh, pride ourselves on providing a, a, a good tea. Um, but, yeah, it's not deemed safe enough to uh, to share food, as you'll know that most cricket teas are normally a buffet of some description. So yeah. a bit of cross-contamination, mate, and unfortunately we're not able to, to carry that out. So, yep, snack on your own. Indeed, I was going to say, and I'm sure regular listeners to the show, and indeed the uh, the, the the people in the WhatsApp group, will, won't forgive me if I don't ask. What is the contents of Ash Thorpe's lunchbox? Wow, um, it, it, it can vary, mate. From very, uh, I like a good strong packet of crisps. Either, um, you know, a, a man's packet of crisps. I'm gonna I'm gonna go brands. Other brands are available, but a, a McCoy's or a Paprika Max or something to that description. Maybe yeah. a sandwich. Um, man crisps. Yeah. They, they, they are the man crisp. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, a sandwich of some description and and maybe um, a couple of couple of sweets and uh, plenty of water. Fantastic. Yeah. I was going to say, do you, do you have any particularly Antipodean style snackage there? Because I know Moots was very excited about that chicken salt stuff that you had <laughs> a few years ago. I, I still have his chicken salt here, actually. It's about half full now. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, nothing, nothing major, mate. Nothing major, to be fair. I'm quite happy with going, going with the flow, whatever's available. Ah, uh, right. I was uh, imagining a bit of Vegemite or something. You know, something, something. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually out of Vegemite. It's a, it's a delicate situation in a sort household. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, they say nurses have it tough, I tell you. No Vegemite <laughs> in the Thorpe household. That, that is That's an emergency it. situation. Definitely no clapping for me. <laughs> the first casualty of lockdown there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ash, as always, a pleasure chatting to you, mate. And, uh, and I'll look forward uh, to catching up with you next week. And uh, we'll, we'll no doubt look back on, on another exciting uh, second test match. It's uh, England against Pakistan starting tomorrow. Uh, Ash, thanks very much for joining us. Top man, thank you. Cheers, mate. Welcome back to the Wednesday Night Sports Show, and we're going to close the show with a chat uh, with Sunderland super fan, Mr. John Stokoe. How are you doing, John? Not so bad, mate. Yeah, yourself? 
Yeah, I'm I'm doing well. Um, now we we've chatted about this a little bit earlier on uh, with uh, with Gary Mutimer, uh, the infamous wage cap that's come in at League One and League Two level, John. Um, where where do you stand on it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm a big fan of it. Obviously, being a Sunderland fan, I'm definitely not a big fan of it. But I don't really think it's uh, overly fair on teams like Sunderland and you know maybe Portsmouth and some of these other teams who find themselves where we are. Um, I think overall, if a rule was to come out sort of straight off to say Premier League, Championship, League One and League Two, you know, we're going to set up uh, this idea in two years' time, then everybody can plan for it. But really, it's not going to do us any favours at all. And I think some of the targets we've been looking at, granted some of these targets that aren't massively exciting, uh, we're going to have to forget about them because we won't be able to afford them. It's interesting to see how it's going to work out. Do you think it's going to make for for larger squads in the divisions above? Do you think it's going to weaken the English clubs in comparison uh, to to you know players going abroad more? Um, do you think that it's maybe going to end up being overturned? Was another PFA uh, a, a promising to fight it and saying it's uh, illegal? Uh, what do you think? It could rumble on for a while, couldn't it? Uh, I'm sure there will be an appeal. Uh, I think it could see bigger squads, you know, in the championship because some of those players who aren't getting a game, you know, uh, teams in League One and League Two won't be able to afford them. But for me, I just think it smacks of this. Uh, it's a kind of them and us attitude. We've seen it with, you know, the football at the beginning, at the end of last season. You know, Premier League and Championship can, you know, almost play to a finish. League One, League Two, women's football, you know, uh, all the lower leagues can, you know. They can't do it. You know, we're, we're miles and miles away from the big bucks in those top two leagues. And yet now we're bringing in, you know, looking at bringing in these rules of wage caps and the like. And if you're going to do it, bring it across the board, all football, uh, you know, to keep it her on everyone. But certainly in our predicament, obviously Sutherland's had a, a, a very quick fall from grace. So while I would generally agree with, you know, wage caps, I think, you know, I think everyone would realise that, you know, the likes of Man City's and, you know, Man United, who you know have spent a, a lot of money on some top top players and top top wages. It makes it difficult for people in, in the middle of the Premier League and the lower ends of the Premier League to kind of compete. So I think the sooner we can get round to having a little a bit of a a more level playing field for everybody in the league, uh, I think that's uh, it's going to be better for the game. But certainly for from the very outset with Sunderland now, it's not going to do us any favours for next season. Yeah, it is something that they do make work in the uh, in rugby, um, you know, the, the Super League, and uh, I think they do have a wage cap there. Um, but then I suppose we've seen that rugby also make good use of, of video replays, and, and we've kind of messed that up a little bit in football, haven't we? Yeah, well, I think so. I think, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of rugby. I, I don't understand it. I'm not bothered if it's on telly. I'm not, you know, World Cup, I might watch it, but it's not my thing. Uh, but they do a lot of things right even down to the fact there's no gobbling off at the referee. You don't see players rolling around cheating, you know, feigning injury. And, you know, that that's probably the the big thing that I would like incorporating from, you know, rugby to football, because sometimes it's sickening to watch these players rolling around and, you know, blatantly cheating. So I think, you know, we could learn a lot from rugby, at the fact that, uh, you know, whether it's wage caps or, you know, the behaviour on the pitch, uh, it just seems that Liverpool, uh, not Liverpool, it's that four didn't slip, uh, football itself, it just seems to have a, 
a rule for itself. Uh, it's, it's you know self, you know, far-reaching from the real world, really, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Uh, I mean, I guess there's a danger uh, with this uh, with this salary cap uh, brought in that, that teams coming up from League One. Uh, once they hit the championship, that there will be that separation, and the teams that come up are going to be going straight back down. Yeah, well, exactly. I think, I think across the board, if you if you bring something like that in, I, I think, I think it could work. I, I do think that the idea itself is a good idea, but you can't rush it in, uh, and I think you have to. Uh, there has to be a, a bit of a sliding scale, you know, from Premier League Championship. You know, League One and League Two, but just to bring it in now, that is going to adversely impact Sunderland. Now, it is our own fault where we are, um, but you know, if this rule has come in now and we have players who we've had from the Championship on bigger wages, what we're we supposed to do? You know, are we going to have points taken off? Are we going to are we going to be fined? Is this is this immediate straight up? When do they when do they tot up the wages? You know, and I, I'm not convinced that you know the uh, the FA are that clever at sort of trying to catch these people who you know blatantly cheat with you know I think as long as it's got to be transparent open and honest and I think it could work but it's, I think it's open to abuse what they do have um higher up there is is financial fair play um mm. which and I, I think anything that that stops clubs from overspending overreaching and and ultimately you know possibly going bust which of course is is what we you know none of us, none of us want to happen mm. in any club um is is generally a good thing but i i also feel that if it's going to come in it needs to be an international thing a fifa thing a uefa thing at least rather yeah than- I, can't think so. yeah, I think so you, you know if it's just in this country or but you can't just you know cherry pick and have a little bit here and a little bit there it's got to be across the board and i'm sure that you know the teams at the top end of the premier league wouldn't like it tough you know, it has to be across the board unfair to all teams. It doesn't matter whether you, you know, you are top of the Premier League or you're bottom of League Two. Football, it, it, I'm sorry, but it has to be the same across the board. You know, to you know, to make it fair. Um, and I think, you know, a good example of, you know, spending money above your means and the like. You know, I, I feel desperately sorry for Berry fans. You know, their football teams just disappeared. I don't know what they'll do on a weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll be. In some respects, that might not be a bad thing, uh, not having you know poor football to watch every weekend. But they, you know, from, from, through that, no fault of their own, they've lost their football team. But you know, the powers that be that run that club, they were spending money on you know so many different players, which gave them an advantage. They got promoted, but of course, you know, they they spent too much, and you know, it, it was cheating, and well, they've, they've paid the ultimate price, haven't they? So, I think you know, the spending has to be sensible, and it has to be open and honest and transparent and uh, I just think there's too much wriggle room for teams who you know quite clearly bend the rules uh, and uh, you know it, it, all it does is it makes it kitty for the, for the teams who haven't got quite so much money yeah I, I think that it, it must come in internationally um, and I think there must be a little bit of a sliding scale in terms of income like the financial fair play um, which should be set up really just to, to, to safeguard clubs 
to prevent them overreaching. And I do think that the mm. very top level is where they're crying out for something like this because the wages are, are insane, just, just obscene, mm. some of them. Um, mm. and, and especially, I think, they're uh, contrasted with, with clubs that, that that are going to the wall lower down. That, that um, you know, in some cases, I think that, that one week's wages for your, your elite players would, would save these clubs comfortably. Yeah, well, this this is where the you know the, the money side in football it is sickening. Uh, you know, I suppose if Sunderland just won the Premier League, I wouldn't give a monkey's. Uh, that's not likely to happen anytime soon. But you're right that there's just ridiculous, sickening amounts of money. And uh, you know, I, I don't care who says it's you know, normal and it's supply and demand. It's business. It's disgusting. You know, when you when you look at you know how much money you know we you know. Uh, businesses, organisations, charities need, and yet, whereas you know, you can throw around hundred million pounds for players, or you know, spending a million pounds on players' wages for a month. And I think so many of the problems in football are at the top end, but because that is where all the money is, it's kind of allowed to pass. And it's almost as if you know that the the harder, faster rules, and the you know, you, you know, you try and get to grips with things. It, it, it tends to be that it's the, the teams lower down who have to abide by all these. But, you know, we've seen that, you know, the Man Cities, you know, you've got transfer embargoes in Europe before with some of the European superpowers. And I think Barca had one not so long ago. But I do think there's a, a point where, you know, money talks and the amount of money that, you know, swills between some of these big clubs, you know, the the, the amount of years after somebody signs and they're still paying money. I mean, how we've even seen it at Sunderland, in, you know, and that was kind of small fry. You know, you can sign a player, and in two, three years after, you're still paying money for them. Well, this sort of stuff's got to stop, and they've got to rein it in. And like you say, I think it has to be across the board. You can't just have, you know, the Premier League doing it, La Liga, you know, or Serie A. It's got to be across the board. FIFA needs to get to grips with it because money, while it has plus points, and you know, you can bring the best players in the world to your league. You know, we can watch wall-to-wall football. We can probably watch football all day, every day, thanks to money and TV rights. At the same time, the money in football is just its completely and utterly crackers. Yeah, indeed. Quite a, good, quite a neat summary. Um, now, we spoke a little bit earlier on regarding the ladies' game, John. I know you, your, your daughter plays um, mm. for Middlesbrough there, so you have an interest yourself. You also do some coaching um, too. Um, now, um, we were talking a little bit about uh, about the England job. First of all, of course, Phil Neville mm. is not going to carry on beyond his, his contract ending next summer. Um, England linked with, uh, with the current Dutch coach at the moment. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, where, where do you, where do you stand on uh, on on, uh, on England's search for a, a new manager in the ladies' game? Is it maybe time for them to uh, to bring a a woman back in as as manager? No, I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, equal opportunities and all that. But you know, you've got some great women footballers, and then they go and pick a bloke to manage them. And I just think, for me, that maybe sends out the wrong message. I think. Uh, I think I don't think women's football is taken seriously enough yet. Uh, there's certainly not uh, as much money in it now. I realise that you know that there's never going to be as much money in it when you know that the crowds compared to the men's game uh, are completely and utterly different. But I, I do think that uh, the FA really needs to you know get to grips with women's football again. 
and it really promote it just that there are more girls, young women, you know, women playing. Um, but I, I think uh, this Dutch coach is very well thought of. Uh, I think that could be uh, good news. So uh, I think you know Phil Neville seemed to do a decent job, but I think I think most people kind of raised their eyebrows when he was brought in. But it just, um, yeah, I think uh, stick a women's coaching and, uh, and and see what they can do rather than just getting some half right you know half right bloke in who uh, really hasn't cut the mustard as a you know, a male coach. So why should he do well, you know, managing England's, you know, women's team? It just it just seemed a bit daft at the time. Yeah. I mean, do you, would you say that there, there's maybe, um, you know, some things that, that, uh, that, that only a re- really a woman could, could bring out of a, of a lady's team? I don't know. Maybe that, that sort of shared, um, you know, that, that, that shared empathy that, that, that only a, a woman might be able to bring. Yeah, I don't know. I think... I think uh, as long as somebody's good enough for a job, uh, then you know it doesn't matter if, what, what race, what sex they are. It, it doesn't matter if, if they've got the credentials for it, uh, then they're good enough to do it. As I say, I think Phil Neville. I'm not quite sure what credentials he had. I know he did some work with Southgate and the like, but it was just surprising. You know, it, uh, it, women's football in England and Great Britain, you know, is beginning to take off and. For me, it just seemed a bit of a, a strange appointment. In fairness, he did well, and I think uh, a lot of the uh, women who played for him uh, respected him, uh, which was the important thing. Um, I think Beth Mead uh, liked him because you know, the previous manager, Mark Sampson, who uh, uh, I'm not convinced uh, he left in any kind of uh, glory. Uh, she wasn't getting much of a game on doing because she didn't really know what he was doing. But at least, uh, certainly, I think Phil Neville sort of brought them together and they played some good football. Uh, but I think maybe it is time for a change, uh, and I think if uh, women football is good enough, why why couldn't a you know a, a female manager uh, be good for their team? And uh, you know that said, why couldn't a, a female manager you know uh, take over in the men's game either? That's an interesting point. It is something that I was I was discussing with Moots, and of course, uh, you know, Moots managed uh, Newcastle ladies, uh, a man managing a, a ladies team, um, uh, and uh, so I suppose it, it it should be possible to be the other way around. But I mean, it can it can be pretty unpleasant places. The 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 male changing rooms, can't they, John? I just mean yeah. the the drainage quality. <laughs> yeah, well, I think yeah, I think there's there's still a long way to go before. Uh, you know, certain people take the women's game completely seriously. I mean, you know, obviously growing up with watching my daughter playing, uh, not just football, but cricket as well. You know, there's a long way to go. You know, you can go to some of these clubs and, you know, you get young girls turning up or young women turning up. It almost seems like a bit of a chew on or a bit of a faff, you know, getting them a game. Whereas if you were you some young lads or young dogs going along, then, you know, they'd be, seem to be far more welcoming. But I think, I think things are beginning to pick up. And I think, you know, when, you know, when the England ladies team, whether it's football or cricket or any of these, uh, any, you know, female teams uh, in whatever sport it is, as soon as they have success, it seems to uh, you know, add a bit more seriousness to what they do. Uh, you only need to look at performances over the years, you know, and at the Olympics and all these different sports. Uh, you know, it's, it's about time that uh, women's sport was taken far more seriously and, you know, whether the you know the the TV channels and the like uh, really have a dart at it. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see. You know, man, if it's good sport, good entertainment, then I'll watch any of it. 
Absolutely. Um, and I mean, we've talked, we've talked Sunderland ladies, we talked about Newcastle ladies as well, Moots and uh, uh, Middlesbrough ladies. I, I mean, uh, what, what do you know about their, their preparations for, for a return to competitive football? Yeah, well, I, I think they've got some new players in. Uh, it looks like a, a decent squad, a decent lineup. You know, the, the, the first team looks strong, and then the reserves have, uh, you know, got a load of extra players. They've got, you know, uh, girls stepping up from the RTC. It seems to, uh, you know, you've got Ben Fisher, the, the chairman at Middlesbrough now, and there's been, you know, a, a lot of changes there. But I think it looks like they're going places. You know, they've. Uh, uh, they've uh, you've got some you know good people behind the scenes. We've got a good media man, uh, you know, and I think uh, you know some of the players that bought in. I, I think uh, there's a real buzz around the place as well. So uh, I'm hoping uh, Daisy does uh, the business on the pitch and you know is properly part of it. But it's uh, it looks like it's a good time to be involved. But I have to say, you know, going up to Wolves and uh, on a weekend and uh, kind of cheering on Borough as a Sunderland fan is just a bit of a a bit of a strange carry-on, to be honest, but uh, I had my Sunderland underpants on anyway. <laughs> but but not maybe not safe enough to wear the Sunderland jacket. You said there's a good media, guy, media man there. You're not involved in, in that side of it yourself, are you? Um, not so much. I've done a little bit on the social media side, but we've uh, got Mr. Fork in those. Uh, who knows his onions, uh, so he's doing a lot of work and a lot of uh, interviews with the players and, the, you know, the social media side of stuff's good. Uh, me being uh, over in Skipton and missing a fair bit of it, uh, I've had to uh, kind of step back a little bit from it. So, uh, but yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of good people involved in the club, I think, you know, different coaches, you know, from uh, all the different age groups, you know, the, the, the young girls, you know, to, you know, the young teenagers, older teenagers and then under 18s and you know, reserves and first team. There's a real good uh, pathway there, and obviously, you know, I used to be involved over in Scarborough. Daisy started playing for a team in Whitby, but then went to Scarborough. And then she's come across to Middlesbrough, and uh, you know, there's a few people who are heading over to Middlesbrough now because they can see, I think, you know, youngsters when they see, you know, girls that they maybe know who grow up and get a chance in these teams, and maybe for women's football and you know, play for the first team, then it's a uh, you know, it's a real boost for them to see, look, if they work hard enough and they're good enough, that there's a real pathway to, you know, playing women's football. So I think uh, despite the fact when they have the little huddle at the beginning of the game and they shout one, two, three at Borough, uh, Daisy, uh, bless her, I'm still proud of her. She's one, two, three, and she can't bring herself to shout Borough, and rightly so, being, uh, you know, uh, being a Mackham. But uh, she loves it. It's good, great setup, and there's, there's just a lot of good people involved. So... Uh, it's nice to see all the girls improving and working as a team and uh, hoping they'll have some big success this season to move at the pyramid. Fantastic. I was going to say, that is the men's, is, does the men's club have any involvement there or is it completely separate there? It seems to be separate, you know, even to the point where, you know, the, the Middlesbrough ladies have a, a different badge because uh, I think in years gone by, and I, I, I don't know all the politics behind it, but I've, uh, the, the brief chats I've had, it's been a kind of, oh, no, you can't use, you know, the Middlesbrough badge, uh, which, you know, I think we've had this chat before about uh, women's football, you know, involved with Sunderland as well. You know, there, there hasn't, for me, there's not been enough, uh, you know, help between the two teams. It should be a kind of sporting club, you know, your, your men and your women and all your juniors and youngsters. And, you know, when you're looking at the you know, money that you can throw around and spend, a lot of money on a, a player who's poor, 
you could you know keep a women's team running for a season for half a million or a million, which obviously to me and you that's a lot of money, but it's chicken feed to a you know a football club. So I think hopefully if uh, Middlesbrough ladies you know really sort of kick on, uh, there could be a lot more cohesion between them and the men's team. Uh, but uh, and certainly Sunderland uh, it would be uh, it would be good because I think if Sunderland has had more backing from the men's team they might not uh, find themselves where they are now, you know, three, four divisions away of where they should be. Yeah, completely agree, 100%. Um, yeah, Sunderland with the conveyor belt of talent that they've produced, of course, yeah. they're absolutely fantastic lady footballers who went on to play for England and, and continue to and, and have tremendous careers. Um, so, yeah. yes, I think they, they definitely missed a, missed a trick there. The fantastic things that were happening with that club um, and rather sad that it's uh, it's gone the way it has. Um, I, I'm scratching my head as to why, they, why the, uh, the men's clubs don't get more involved because I think it's a, I think it's a win-win, uh, and I think well, it, uh, it makes, women's football. It makes that, yeah, it makes that sense to me. You know, you have so many uh, women, youngsters, uh, you know, teenagers, uh, you know, all the ladies and the like, you all go to the football, men's football. To, so to have that sort of link between the two of them, uh, you know, I've thought before, you know, you could have, you know, a first-team player in the men's team, you know, kind of sponsors the, uh, you know, their equivalent in the women's team, or yeah, vice versa, just... Uh, I think there was a point when Sunderland women were better than Sunderland men anyway. Uh, but I know, you know, you know, there, there were some kind of link-ups there, and you know, the women would train with the men. But for me, it needs to happen more often. And I think, you know, if any team playing in red and white stripes with Sunderland in the name, I'd, I'd go and support them, particularly if they win. Uh, so there should be that more link-ups, I think, between uh, you know the men and women at uh, various clubs. But I think we're way off that happening, yeah. Indeed, but uh, but yeah, absolutely. I, I think the uh, I think it's a matter of time the men's clubs might might eventually just wake up and uh, and and figure out why uh, it, it's uh, it's it's a winner uh, either way if they do uh, have that cohesion with the uh, with the ladies' ranks there. Um, John, fascinating chat with you as always, and uh, I look forward uh, to catching up with you uh, very soon uh, here on the Wednesday night sports show. No problem. Speak to you soon. Thanks very much, John. That's John Stoffel. Right. Uh, joining us here on the Wednesday Night Sports Show, Gary Mutimer, earlier on, and Ash Thorpe as well. We'll be back with another edition next week. Bye for now.